Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hajj Assad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, thank you for trying something new. I'll reiterate, Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists, and you can find our work all over the internet. Uh, I'll let Ben speak a little bit more about his work right now. Go! You can find my work at Motor Trend, at Automobile Magazine, at Inside Hook, and uh, Driving Line. And there's also a project that I've been working on for the last couple of years that's entered its final phase of evolution, and that's a graphic novel I've written called Code 45. And that is currently available on Kickstarter. We had the first few days of the campaign this past week, and it went crazy. We've uh, done almost half of our goal on Kickstarter in the first couple of days. And I want to thank everyone for the podcast l- listenerhood who pitched in and picked up a copy. I really appreciate it. And I know there were a bunch of you. Um, if you want to check out the book, it's www.code-45.com. And it's about a subway driver named Vanessa who discovers there are dragons lurking beneath the tunnels of uh, Montreal where she's working on the night shift and that everyone around her is paranoid and freaking out and they self-medicate to get through their shifts. And gradually she can't tell what's real and what's not, but she's got to figure it out fast because it all ties into a secret from her own family's past. So that's www.code-45.com. The campaign runs all month and it started on June 1st. You are a pro at describing your uh, your book. You know that? Well, like, you do, how much practice has it taken? I, in front of a mirror, probably two, three thousand times. Uh, it's, it's. They say that once you've done something, what is it, ten thousand times, you become an expert at it. So I still have a little ways to go. Right. Well, that that's good. I can't wait to to hear how the uh, Kickstarter goes. Sammy, um, Sammy, tell me something you've done ten thousand times. Uh, I don't think you really want to know that, do you? <laughs> well, I thought I did, but I guess we're moving on. Uh, I'll tell you later. Additionally, you can find my work at autotrader.ca as well as driving.ca and Nouveau Magazine. Ben, I'm going to start our week's episode with a discussion of a car, of a body type that we don't really talk about all too often, and that's the minivan. But you, Do know, you, you know why we don't talk about it, Sammy? Because um, we're not the target demographic of Well, the, I guess that's part of it. That's part of it. But I also think there are only like four or five of them on the market. There's actually quite a few, and I'm talking about a brand new nameplate. Quite a few, quite a few. How many are there? Give me a moment here. Come on, let me get through this here. All right. We've got we've got a brand new nameplate. It used to be known as the Kia Sedona, and is now known as the Kia Carnival. And it goes up against the Odyssey, the Sienna, and and the Voyager. And why, the, why are you saying the Voyager like a question? I think it's called the Voyager. It's, wait, and the Grand Caravan, I suppose, is still a, a I, thing. I don't no, know. No, I think the Grand Caravan's gone. I mean, every time I think that, it proves me wrong. <laughs> like, it comes back, and it comes back at, like, a lower price somehow. Like, five years from now, you're going to be able to buy a Grand Caravan for, like, eleven nine ninety five. Like, it's still going to be out there. It's going to be unchanged, but it's going to be super cheap. So what did I say? I said Odyssey, Sienna... Pacifica and uh, Sorrent, and what is the new one called? Carnival. Jeez. So that's, that's five. So that's a whole bunch of them, then. That is a whole bunch. A it, five five it is a bunch. I mean, if you've got cross- a bunch of bananas, it's five or so. Not a bunch of bananas. Well, you could probably name 30 crossovers in five minutes. I don't want to. So I'm just saying that that segment has kind of wiped out minivans. That's where I was going with that. 
What? It wasn't just it wasn't just a personal attack on you. Although I have to admit, part of it was. <laughs> you have to admit what? Sorry, I missed part that. part of it was right. Um, actually, speaking about that personal attack, I grew up in like a minivan. Didn't you grow up in a minivan? Well, I had a house and a minivan, but um, I was lucky that way. I guess not everyone had the same yeah. opportunities that I did. I mean, I think we have so many. Like, I remember family road trips in a minivan. I don't. I know that probably kids today have family road trips in the crossover in the Highlander or or Pilot or whatever they've got. No, they have family but, road trips on the iPad. Oh, that's what that's what that, marketing oh. would have us believe. I I learned to drive on a minivan, a 1993 Pontiac Transport. Oh yeah, it was Pontiac teal Transport. teal green with was. with like crazy graphics. And it was the coolest thing in the world. I remember like cranking hip hop music because it had the um, tailgate that had the speakers integrated into it. So you could back it up to like an outdoor party because I grew up in the sticks. And you would pop the tailgate and you would have this giant stereo system. Or it seemed giant. You were doing outdoor parties before it was a requirement for our health? <laughs> yes. Prior to, the, <laughs> prior to the current pandemic, outdoor parties were voluntary and... <laughs> Uh, they existed because we didn't have access to things like buildings. Maybe my upbringing wasn't as privileged as I thought it was. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, good. I remember so- uh, one more transport story. I remember one day I was in high school and I don't remember the circumstances, but I remember that I loaded, I think, 11 or 12, maybe 13 friends inside. Imagine having 13 friends as an adult. Anyway, I was 16 and I had 13 friends inside this minivan and, like, it was standing room only. People were hunched over each other. And uh, I went around a corner and, like, the whole side of the minivan lifted up. And I was oh, like, man. oh, man, is this, is this where it happens? But no, not today. And we made it through. But I, I, it, it, all, so many years later, that moment is still vivid in my memory. <laughs> um, you want me to talk about this carnival or should we go ahead talking about our minivan uh, memories? Well, give me one of your minivan memories. You haven't hit me with any yet. You said road trips, but that's pretty vague. I mean, anyone can have we, that memory. We also use the minivan to, like, uh, pick up and drop off a lot of stuff. But one day, one, I can't remember what it was, but one time we didn't use the interior space of the minivan to haul a mattress. Instead, used the roof where we strapped a mattress to the roof of the vehicle, which promptly flew away somewhere on the highway. And my dad was really not impressed with that. With did that you end up situation. recovering the mattress, or did it just... <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, sometimes you just have to let it go. Yeah. So, anyways, those stories aside, can I talk about this carnival? Yes. Okay. The Kia Carnival. Brand new nameplate. It is a, uh, a whole new vehicle. It uses a front-wheel drive platform. It has a 3.5-liter V6 engine under the hood that makes 290 horsepower. And 262 pound-feet of torque, which is pretty much on par with the rest of the minivans in this segment, except for the hybrid Sienna, which has a whole different situation going on for it. Um, and it's got, you know, the, the similar features to the rest of the vehicles. It's got sliding doors, a power lift gate. It's got um, a wireless phone charger. I think the most standout part of this vehicle is the second row of seating in the top trim model. What we've got here in what is known as the SX Prestige version of the car is a lounge area that honestly rivals some of the extended wheelbase um, crossovers and sedans that I've ever been in. I'm talking like power reclining uh, seats with so much legroom that you can't touch the the 
seat in front of you with your feet. Like that that's how much it is. I remember when um, I was growing up, uh, some friends of mine, their family had a grand caravan and what they had done was took out the middle row of seats and the mm-hmm. kids would sit in the far back, like the third row, with just this empty gap in front of them. And I thought and, that was the coolest thing. It was like a limousine. So you're saying that flash forward to today and the carnival it has that capability without having to remove the, the the second row seats. That's right. I mean, it does pretty much when you slide the fr- the second row all the way back, the third row is pretty much like non-functional. But um, you don't have to slide them all the way back. That's one thing. Uh, additionally, they're power adjustable. They're reclining. Uh, they recline like that. And they also have like a, a, what do you want to call it? Leg rest? Foot rest? It's called an ottoman, Sammy. There you go. Power ottoman feature, kind of like a lazy boy. So you just like click this button, you hold it down, uh, and this uh, little stump comes out of the bottom of the seat, and you can rest your your legs that way. So, so the Sedona used to have that feature too, and it was one of my favorite features, and it was one of the things that made the Sedona my favorite minivan. In a world where I have to have a favorite minivan, it is from Kia, but they got rid of it in the last couple of years of production, which was really disappointing to me. Right, and now it's back. With uh, a vengeance, with this massive sliding area that allows you to uh, really, like, lounge out in, in the back of this vehicle. Additionally, the second row of seating has um, vental, vented seats in addition to heated seats. What about a vented ottoman? Is the ottoman heated or vented? I didn't test the heating, the heat change on the ottoman part of the, of the seat. I'm sorry. Okay. I didn't do my due diligence there. You're forgiven this time, but in the winter, it would be, not, it would be a nice feature to have. If the leg part, if your feet were particularly cozy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, We've also got sunshades in the second and third row. Um, This is wild. When I was growing up, the second row windows, like, didn't slide up and down. You had to, like, just deal with those not being open, never being opened. Yeah. But now you can, which is great. And they weren't tinted either in the van that I had. So you had to deal with them never being open, but also boiling alive. Um and the other thing I wanted to mention was the thing I had to deal with in that transport was 143 horsepower and like a 3,800 pound curb weight. So <laughs> the fact that the Carnival has 290 horsepower, I mean, that's mind blowing. I, I would not have survived to adulthood if I'd learned how to drive on the Carnival. If, with a, <laughs> a minivan with twice the power. Exactly. Um, and I also drove this in to, to compare it with the Pacifica, the, the latest trim level of the Pacifica, which is known as a pinnacle edition. It also features, um, it also offers all wheel drive, which, which is, um, slowly gaining adoption in this minivan space. I think the Sienna offers it and maybe the other ones will too. Doesn't. Yeah. Well, you know, I was wondering, do you think the reason why minivans haven't, because if you look at minivan platforms, like I think the Odyssey shares this platform with the Pilot, or at least it did for a long time, right? And we know yep. that the Honda Pilot has all-wheel drive, but the, yep. the Odyssey never offered that feature. So in my mind, I'm like, are car companies purposely keeping minivans front-wheel drive so they don't eat into crossover sales, which are probably more profitable? Yeah, I mean, I th- I was curious about that as well, but I'm starting to realize that there is such a vast difference between three-row crossovers and minivans not only in terms of practicality and body style and design, but in terms of how they drive as well. I think um, a crossover ends up feeling a little bit more, um, I'll say like the word rugged, but I mean like confident and capable in inclement weather and poor weather conditions, where all-wheel drive is kind of like that added element, that thing that really helps people feel, you know, that the car ha- the car is, is supporting them in this, in this condition. But even uh, an all-wheel drive minivan, 
like the the Pacifica, it actually felt quite quick off the line. Like that's where they they helped. That's where the all-wheel drive system really helped in that vehicle. But it's also worth pointing out that the the Pacifica comes with a ton of feature a ton of features that you don't get very frequently. For example, a, um, a vacuum. Like a built-in vacuum in the vehicle, which I think is really cool. I don't know. Uh, really, it just feels really like one, useful. one more thing I'm going to have to empty later. You know, like, why can't I just use my normal vacuum that goes into the house and empties in the trash can? Maybe because I'm just cranking have that, but You don't have that on the go. Like, you'll have to wait till you get back home. What a hassle. To use your, <laughs> to use your vacuum. Yeah, man. Um, additionally, this car, uh, this, this new Pacifica has these um, pillows. Like, not like... Parts of the seat, they're like pillows that you can take away from the seat. You can take them with you somewhere. You could probably lose them somewhere. Um, you can use them to beat your fellow second row passengers, which is probably what me and my sister would end up doing if we had such a vehicle with pillows in the back seat of the vehicle. Um, How much extra my... are you paying for pillows, which are probably something you already have in your house? Just curious. Oh, my God. I, that's a really important question to ask because the fully loaded Pacific uh, Pinnacle Edition starts at $54,000, which is a good chunk of money. Uh, but that includes all-wheel drive. Okay. And how much more is that compared to the Carnival? The Carnival is much more affordable. I will say the Carnival is – it starts – that fully loaded version of the Carnival is $46,000. So like a um, – what is that, $8,000 difference? That's pretty wild. Yeah. So, you know, I'm trying to I'm trying to look at these two vehicles. Is $8,000 you're getting pillows, a vacuum, and all-wheel drive? <laughs> I think that, you know, part of the minivan market has moved – consistently towards becoming a luxury product and kia has been one of the companies that i mean across the board with most of its products but especially with the minivans has resisted that idea it's it's consistently maybe not consistently because the minivan hasn't always been in the lineup but when it has been it's always been something that offered an affordable version with the ability to have a nice version as well but still not pushing into what you would expect to pay for a premium vehicle and i think honda and toyota especially have moved away from that and now chrysler is on the way towards that as well so it's nice i think that kia is still making a minivan for people who want to use a minivan for its practicality not necessarily because they're looking for a mobile command center well i mean yeah a a base version of the carnival is thirty two thousand dollars which is a really good price while the base version of the pacifica is thirty five thousand dollars so only a three thousand dollar difference i will add though that there's a part of the minivan uh, of the pacifica especially in that fully loaded pinnacle trim that just feels a little bit more family friendly um for example the third row is powered in the in the pacifica while it is manual in the uh kia and while you're fiddling around with those power second row that power second row in the um in the carnival if you slide it all the way back you've got passengers who were last in there with that reclined state you cannot do much with the third row even if you're in the in the trunk of the vehicle you want to fold those seats down or bring them back up if those second row seats are are slid back or they're in the reclined state they'll be in the way and then you have to go into the second row use the power adjust adjustable buttons there to you know put it back to the normal state and then you can use the third row which i think is a bit of a hassle in comparison the pacifica just has these power buttons on the in the tailgate you it's just a one touch button that allows it to fold or um recover or you can um recline them as well i I mean yeah i agree that it's a bit of a hassle but is it an eight thousand dollar hassle no i mean i'm just trying to to say that 
there are some features that don't seem like they're built for the audience. And I think what you just said about the minivans moving towards a luxury space, I see the Carnival at that top trim level being essentially a, um, a shuttle kind of vehicle, a sort of command center, not for, not for kids, but for or maybe grownups or adults or something like that. Um, somebody who's being ferried to and from somewhere where they can relax in the back, get some work done while, while chilling out like that. And this, um, this is something while, the, while the Pacifica just seems more family oriented. And this is something you see more in Europe where, I mean, you and I have traveled fairly extensively for work in, in, in Germany and France and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the time, the airport shuttles that were picked up in are vans and they're outfitted in exactly that kind of way. And it's, you know, whereas here you, you'd be picked up in the suburban. Um, I've always, it's always been fun with Chrysler because they, they do pick you up in a Pacifica, which, mm-hmm. which has just more room in it, especially if you're loading it full of people. Uh, three rows in a suburban gets tight pretty quickly, but in a minivan, it's not nearly as bad. So as a shuttle, these vehicles work very well, but I mean, most people, are they buying it as a shuttle? I mean, I I would think most people who buy a minivan are families or, and this is, I think the other use case for minivans that isn't talked about a lot. I think empty nesters or grandparents, they buy a minivan because it's something that's useful for them every day. But when family comes to visit, they have room. And they're also easy to drive and, like, get oriented with, right? Like, they've got big pan- big glass windows. You can see all around them, big mirrors. Like, the styles forward, the style forward process of, like, a crossover means that sometimes they have small mirrors or small windows. They have all sorts of finicky gadgets that might um, not be appreciated by an older demographic. Sure. I mean, no. I well, I don't know. I mean, you can find some pretty finicky gadgets in a Sienna too, right? And and yeah. we've talked about minivans having features like the intercoms and that kind of stuff. That, that that's a little fancier than most people need. So I don't know if they're necessarily totally. less fancy than a crossover. But I agree with the other points you said about what makes them unique. Okay, then, and then finally, I want to talk about access to the third row, like. To me, a minivan needs to be needs to have three comfortable seat, comfortable rows of seating, uh, and needs to make those seats accessible. Again, with the um, those powered seats in the um, Carnival, they're very heavy, and sliding them forward and backwards is actually a bit of like a like you really got to get your back into it in order for that to happen. And I don't think a kid would be able to make that um, maneuver. Well, that's and good though. No, you don't you don't want kids of... you don't want kids messing with the seats, so I'm okay with that. But for them to, for a kid to open up the the door and want to get into the third row, they'll need the parents' assistance. And honestly, sometimes the parents will need some uh, heaving and hoeing for that to to work. Are you trying? Uh, trying So what I'm trying to say, (laughs) pardon? Are you trying to tell us something about your current physical state? Yeah, I mean, we've been stuck indoors for a long time, and I haven't been able to go through all my regular physical activity, so. Um, what I'm trying to say is I just don't see the carnival being as accommodating, at least in that top trim level, as accommodating, uh, for families than the Pacifica. And then when you, on the other hand, the Pacifica is so expensive at that top trim level that, you you know, it's almost, um, it's almost a joke to spend nearly $60,000 on a minivan. But if that's what you use your, you know, that's what you use your vehicle for all the time, then I, maybe it'll be money well spent in that regard. I, I, I can't see it as money well spent. I think that as a luxury product, a minivan doesn't make a ton of sense. If you're spending nearly, you said nearly $60,000? Yeah, 
Yeah, 54 it start, that Pinnacle Edition starts at before any additional options or paint finishes or who knows what. There are so it's many just... cool vehicles available at that price point. Like it... Yes, but for a family-oriented vehicle, when the only thing that you're going to be driving your vehicle for – and it's not about – I don't know if it's about being cool or not, but this is about like achieving the goal of transporting a family – at, in the best possible way, right? No, but I think you can achieve that goal without buying the top trim of the vehicle, is what I'm saying. Yeah. I don't think it necessarily makes sense as a luxury product. And I don't know what kind of like value it's going to hold over the years because minivans, oh, yeah. you put a kid in a minivan, that kid's going to tear stuff up. That's just how it is. It's a, <laughs> that's how kids work. They're going to throw food or drop it or whatever. They're going to scratch stuff. They're going to kick things. This is a normal part of growing up. And I think that... I would want a either a fairly robust or semi-disposable vehicle for that yeah. stage of a child's development. I think I agree with you in that in that regard. I, I mean, think about the pillow the top the, trim models because those are what I drove. But the I pillow think I agree with you alone, that. Sammy. The pillow damage. The pillow alone. damage. I mean, if you don't lose the pillow within the first two weeks, of I don't course know. you're going to lose the pillow. Are the pillows warranted? <laughs> that would be very. I think they're they're a wear and tear item. I would love to see statistics from Chrysler as to how many pillow out the window incidents there are in the first like month or so of ownership before the parents realize, okay, we need to take these pillows out of the vehicle. I relied on my colleague Jody Lai's um, accounts on how the pillows were utilized by uh, kids. She has uh, her boyfriend has a pair of kids, and they. Uh, ended up having a pillow fight with them, which sounds cute, but is really dangerous when those pillows end up careening into the front two rows of seats. Oh, for sure. Um, and then she said that she used that family cam, that overhead family cam that allows you to take a look at uh, your kids from the infotainment system. And uh, she was trying to figure out who was causing all the trouble. And then they ended up using the pillows to shield their faces from the camera. And therefore, uh, the pillows just seemed like an awful idea for the whole family situation here. Yeah, I mean, if you wanted to have anonymous incognito children, a pillow is not is is going to only make that uh, more possible for them. It just sounds it just sounds like fun. Uh, I need to add one more thing about the Pacifica. It has a uh, rear seat entertainment system. Um, That's the first both- thing that gets destroyed right there. <laughs> yes. Both rear seat passengers get access to their own individual um, entertainment system, but it also has like some games that allow for like multiplayer functionality, like. Uh, chess or checkers or something like that which i think is kind of neat but at the same time i think these days everyone's got a mobile device to play yeah, on. yeah that was going to be my question i want to say parents who are listening i mean when you see a rear seat entertainment system in a family vehicle does that matter anymore or does your child already have a screen that they're going to be bringing with them and and in fact i mean if a child already has a screen then parents have control over what's on that screen versus what's coming in a car it's kind of more of a mixed bag i think you really think so? I was also curious because, you know, when there's a rear seat, an integrated rear seat entertainment system, if you have like uh, a USB stick with your own pre-approved, you know, movies or whatever you're going to watch or DVD player, it's like a family event. You watch the thing together. It's like a family bonding, a social exercise there. What do you mean watch it together? You mean the parents up front aren't watching anything? Well, I mean, they, the mom, the, sorry. Wow. <laughs> like It would be like my mom. I guess. Wow. The, the, the front passenger might be able to watch on the infotainment system or hear it. Um, and, the, you know, the, the kids in the back would be able to um, watch it together, you know, and laugh the same things together. Or but what, joke if, the, about the what if the kids together. like. And then you if, get, like, inside jokes like that. What if one kid's really into metal and the other kid is into bronies? 
Are you talking about our relationship if we were children in yeah, our Yeah, I'm van? saying how would we have navigated the brony metal dynamic in the rear seat of a car in our fantasy childhood? Well, I mean, for the first hour and a half, we'd watch your shows and listen to your music. How and long the- is this trip? <laughs> what do you mean? You've never been on longer on, on road trips longer than an hour and a half? Yeah, I did, and it occurred in an era that was pre-screens and pre-portable lights, and I would read a little bit, and then I would get sick, and then it would be dark. Yes, that and- would always happen. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and then I would, it would get dark, and I would get bored, and then I would pass out. That was, I think, the general trend for every road trip as a child. Okay, well, I think we would have difficulty um, falling asleep in the car because we'd be bothering each other and talking about every car that passes by. And then I would compare them to uh, My Little Ponies and you talk about your music um, appreciation. Fair enough. I mean, that's optimistic, but fair enough. (laughs) I'm looking forward to our road trips again, I gotta say. It's been a long time. Um, why don't you hit me with the car that you've been driving recently? So I, I picked up an old favorite, um, and it's it's honestly an experience that I wasn't sure how I would react to because the car has been on the market for quite a long time, but I'm glad that I did end up driving it, and that is the 2021 Volkswagen Golf GTI, Sammy. Now, there's something important to talk about this vehicle. Um, this is the last year it's going to exist or something? No, it's – yes and no. I mean, it's the last year for the Mark Seven. Uh, golf and next year when the golf comes back to north america surprise it doesn't come back to north america we're only going to get the gti and the golf r i believe and that's across the board i don't even think canada is going to be getting a base golf anymore um so this is the last of its generation which generally means it's kind of old hat we know everything there is to know about it and volkswagen did carry the vehicle over unchanged there's there's nothing new about they didn't do like a special edition to set it off or anything which would have i mean why bother doing that right but um i the 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 big difference in this golf for me was it's the first one i driven in a long time that had a manual transmission oh yeah that's the one that's the way to get the gti to to me i know a lot of people say uh the otherwise because you get a really nice dct but i like the manual i think the manual transmission just goes with the personality of the gti which is this really engaging fun to drive hatchback i agree and i've always felt the same way about the golf r as well uh, the r again has a good dual clutch and it's much quicker in a straight line with the dual clutch but like the gti if you want to enjoy it and have fun and kind of feel one with the car the manual makes a huge difference in the personality of the vehicle it's, it's actually astounding it's almost night and day. I mean, you go from a car that's a very competent cruiser and daily driver, and in the case of the R, very quick, to mm-hmm. a car that legitimately feels like a shrunken down sports car. And I wasn't expecting that uh, because, like I said, it's been a while since I've driven a GTI. It's been even longer since I've driven a six-speed manual. And, you know, 228 horsepower from a f- Turbo 4, that's not a huge amount of power. It's it's not overwhelming, and it certainly doesn't move the dial when we've got cars like the R and the Veloster N and and the you know WRX and the STI out there. So, as a package, the car just really hits a sweet spot. It's it's fun. It's nimble. It's useful. I mean, there's plenty of room in the back. It's it's a four door hatch. So even with people inside of it, like if you have you know four passengers total, you still have a lot of room to carry stuff around. Yeah. Uh, the styling. Some people call it bland. I think it looks good. I had mine was in a bright blue color that I thought looked fantastic. And uh, the only real sticking point 
on this car is the price. So we were just talking about minivans being kind of more expensive than needed needed to be. The base GTI starts at twenty nine six ninety, Sammy. Wow, so it's like thirty, almost like thirty grand, essentially. Yeah, and if you want the top tier, the Autobahn trim, it's thirty seven nine. Wow, that's, that's a, a lot big of money. Jump. What did, what do you get in the top trim model that you don't get in the in the base one? <laughs> I wish I knew. I mean, I don't it must have be the the tartan seats versus the leather seats. I guess I don't have a complete breakdown. I know that once you're in the mid tier, you get leather seats and a panoramic sunroof and all that stuff, and like LED mm-hmm. headlights. So like that one's thirty three grand. So if you're kind of looking for a more comfortable ride, I think. For another 10% on the purchase price, it's not a huge deal. But I don't really think a luxury Golf makes a lot of sense in the same way that a, a luxury minivan doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. Um, the the other thing about the Golf that's not great, the GTI, is the infotainment system. It is dated. It's usable, but it's laggy. Like, you push a button and you wait for something to happen. And that has always been a problem with Volkswagen's infotainment. The system before this one was by far much worse. Yeah. This one is livable, uh, but it doesn't compare well to other vehicles in its class. So you're going to notice it. Yeah. But man, the drive makes up for so much. It's I am not a front-wheel drive fan for performance cars. It's not my bag. I don't have a problem with it. I understand its place in the ecosystem. But this car, it really makes you forget that it's a puller and it's just so well balanced that everything about it feels like the right amount like i don't even think you know the golf r offers you more horsepower but it attenuates that with all-wheel drive i don't think i would want more horsepower in the front-wheel drive golf uh sorry the front-wheel drive gti because that would just make me realize it's front-wheel drive even more you know like i think that this is the right level of torque for this particular platform i need to say I need to put, first of all, I have a couple of things that I want to say. I'm sorry that I'm going to steal the spotlight from you for a moment. but That's okay. Go ahead. I think I will dis- I disagree with you on the Golf R GTI manual automatic like discussion. I think if you're going to spend the extra money on a more powerful uh, vehicle like the Golf R, you should get it with the DCT because that's going to shift faster. It's going to get you that 0-60 to 60 time that you can brag about, and it's going to be a little bit more... Um, easier to manage, I think, if you do take it on the track. But it's the it's GT- it's going to be a lot less fun on the track, no question. I mean, I, I, having driven them back to back, the DCT is nowhere near as engaging. But it gets the job done. I think that's yeah. The but that's important. not the argument I'm making. I mean, if we're talking about, I mean, there's a difference between a, a fun, engaging car and a car but that gets you the you numbers on the so brochure. Much money on, I mean, I, I agree with you. I, that's this is different though. In the, in the case that the Golf R and the GTIs the manual and the automatic discussion. To me, the GTI is the really fun one, while the Golf R is almost a luxury experience in some kind in some cases. It is powerful. It is like a it is like a sleeper Audi in some case in some ways because of just how uh capable it is, how comfortable it is and how, you know, how good it is when it when you put your foot into it. Yeah, but I would love an RS3 with a manual transmission. That's true too. Um okay, but going to the GTI I think that the GTI has been and is probably still um, a go-to recommendation when it comes to a, a an affordable performance vehicle or a fun-to-drive vehicle. I mean, affordable asterisk, right? Yeah, I think there used there, we used to have a segment called hot hatches. Now there's somehow hotter hatches, but. Um, when you look at this segment that the GTI plays in, we used to say, you know, the GTI and Civics and Veloster Turbos and um, WRXs, they all, and I think there's other one, Focus, they were like Focus ST, I guess. Yeah, that was a long um, time ago, though. 
those all used to play in the same segment. And the GTI was always an easy vehicle to recommend because it did so many things right. And it just always felt more fun to drive than some of the others. Well, it was an all-arounder, right? It was like a car that might not have been the quickest or the most in, like the the most direct driving feel, but it was it didn't really make you sacrifice anywhere in particular. It was kind of a package that worked well together and a package where you never got in and you were like, "Oh, you know, this is some cars, you know, like we talk about the Veloster. Yeah. I think some people might not necessarily like the interior. And then you talk about the Subaru, and some people might be like, oh, the transmission... Might is not like the interior. Yeah, that too, but it, just the transmission is not as smooth as it could be. Or like, you know, they drive the Mazda Speed 3, and people were like, well, there's a ton of torque steer. It's like the yeah. GTI never had any of those problems. I mean, it did in the 2000s or before that, you know, like with the VR6 with the very heavy front end, that kind of stuff. But they really had the formula figured out eventually. And once mm. they got to that point, I think that it was... It was really an all-around car, and that was the main appeal. Is that still the case these days? I mean, it's hard to say because, like you said, the splintering of the market, right? And I, I personally like the Veloster N way more than the GTI, but that's because it plays to the kind of hooliganish, um, brash, in-your-face uh, driving experience that I'm looking for from a car like that. I a GTI, it's a it's a it's a performance car. But it's not necessarily the kind of car that I would – it's hard. You know, I was about to say I wouldn't want to own it. But, like, there are certain circumstances where I would choose this over a lot of other vehicles. It's really complicated. I don't know. What do you think? I mean, I love I, – I think the GTI, I always uh, – I've put on a pedestal and I've always wondered what it would be like to own it. See, why don't I, you own it, though? Because you own a vehicle that was priced roughly the same with your, your BRZ, right? Yeah. But it, it, to me, it's the rear-wheel drive and the front-wheel drive part of it. But now, there you go. But now I'm looking at the vehicle, and it is far more user-friendly, I think, I, and more livable. The uh, the FRS I own has no features. Like, it has no, zero accommodations. And your car, this GTI, can be had with, you know, heated seats and power-adjustable this and the sunroof, or I don't know uh, if it has a sunroof. I'm sorry. Yeah, it does. It might is. not be the case. Okay. Um, navigation and uh, infotainment system. And, like, it can be driven without worries all year long and still enjoyed. I think they're, they're like, two different – they're two different um, applications of a fun-to-drive small car. And I think that's important. I need to say, though, the Veloster N changed things, I think, for the segment. Starting at $32,000, an extra 3000 bucks for, like, 275 horsepower in those really – um, advanced looks, like really eye-catching design, helps put the Veloster N in the place where the GTI used to be, I think. In, in a sense, I, I think that the Veloster N is a better drive. I think it's more fun, and I think it has... It's just more visceral than the GTI, but as an overall vehicle, I don't think it's as polished as the GTI, and I think yeah. that some people will prefer the Volkswagen for that reason. Yeah, see, that's that's the or that's the question I end up coming to is like, when I was growing up, a GTI was a little bit more hardcore than it is now, which sounds funny, and even now, it seems like it's grown up with me. Like, I could take it now because it is a little bit more grown up now. Yeah, and a lot, a lot of the Golf R people I see driving are like in their fifties and sixties. You know, <laughs> it's it's not necessarily a youth oriented vehicle. And another difference between this and the Veloster is this is a four door, and the Veloster oh, yeah. is a two and a half door. So yeah. it's it's slightly smaller and it's not it, it's a little bit more boy racer. But I can tell you this: I mean, I don't really like the Civic Type R, 
And I don't think it's in the conversation for me if we're talking about these cars. I would probably take a Golf over that um, without much hesitation. But, I mean, the Type R is super expensive now. And if you were to get a a comparable level of performance, you'd be looking at the uh, SI, I suppose. And that's not a hatchback, right? No. So... So there's some lost, there's some compromises there. But like you said, splintering of the segment. You know, it's like there's no yeah. Apple Store and just thing going on here, and that's that's good in a way because I like having different choices. I don't. It's unlike the crossover thing where we constantly complain that it's like the same sausage over and over and over and over yeah. and over. And with how many times can we get a three point five, a two point five, a turbo two, uh, two rows, three rows? You know, in a blob. You know, like yeah. it's, it's it's not great. Whereas here we've entered kind of a. Uh, a more diffuse area of the of the uh, auto market, and one that has companies not really paying much attention to anymore. I mean, we lot like you mentioned the Focus earlier; that's gone because Ford doesn't care about cars. Chevy has never made a hot hatch that I'm aware of. They they had it's these unfair because the Cobalt SS wasn't really a hatchback. Wasn't a hatchback. No, right? exactly. It was a well, back in the day, but I mean, if if to continue that thought, Subaru hasn't made a hot hatch in over a decade. So it's it's something that only a few companies remain devoted to. How dare you call the 2.5 liter um, Crosstrek <laughs> not a hot hatch? Hey, give me a turbocharged Crosstrek with a manual transmission and I can sell it to at least one person. <laughs> <laughs> um, anything else you want to add about the GTI? Because I have some reader questions that I'd like to get into. What do you think? Well, I, there's nothing more about – I think I'm done with the GTI. But before we get to the reader questions, I wanted to talk about something BMW did this week. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about this. This was worth talking about for sure. So they came out with a couple of electric vehicles. Now, I know what you're yeah. thinking. Unnamed electric car podcast again. No. So we're not necessarily going to talk about the vehicles themselves. We're going to talk about the press releases that came with those vehicles, Sammy. And why are we going to do that? Well, because their new BMW iX, which is their crossover or SUV or whatever the heck it might be, has some really gimmicky features that I think we need to talk about. I agree with you. Which was the one that you want to start off with? Because there's more than one. <laughs> I, I remember, though, I only know the real, the one that I think is a problem here. It's called, um, uh, there's no real official name here. It's called, uh, it has an overhead interior camera, much like the minivans we just talked about. But the in the BMW, you can take photos of your passengers. Wait, what? Wait, wait, what do you mean? It has a yeah, camera I mean, the that it says making its debut in this form of the BMW iX. The overhead interior camera can be used by the occupants that take snapshots during the journey, allowing them to capture special moments and share them with friends and family. So this is a selfie camera in a car. In, yeah. in an industry that has been trying to convince us not to engage in distracted driving, mm-hmm. but is now facilitating that at a using what I assume is a four cost option. <laughs> is that <laughs> is that correct? You. Have I missed anything there? No, you haven't. It, and the the thing is, even like a selfie cam would be kind of like uh, like it would be. I guess it would be situated at the front of the vehicle, you know, on the dash or something. And you can see everyone's face. But this is, uh, from what I understand, an overhead interior camera which might not give the most flattering looks at people uh pictures can be taken by voice command or touch control and there's also an option for a self timer with a three second delay so you can pose i guess which sounds kind of dangerous yeah because you're supposed to be driving (laughs) yeah let's just lay that out here (laughs) furthermore the camera system can even be set to take a photo 
when at least one of the one of the occupants are is smiling. Okay, okay. So automatic photos when you like when you smile, which is great, right? Like that's what you need. So it's triggered by a smile. It can be. Yeah. How far are we from a car that will only let the ignition unlock if you're also smiling? If you're like pledging allegiance to the pleasure of BMW driving with your face. Right. You have to say, "Hey BMW, how's it going?" Hey BMW, this smile. The smile is sincere. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, also, hold on. I need to add, it works at night. It sends black and white images, which sounds like a mugshot to me at some point. It like, sounds it's just like black and white photos why of can't you it and your do family. Inf- why can't it do infrared like the Predator? That would be amazing. I would love oh, it. Oh, you mean like the shot. GT70 and its infrared uh, camera or yes, radar that it has? See, exactly. It's, it, this is an arms race between luxury companies now. There, there's another There's another thing. Um, you, you, would, you would send me an excerpt from the press release where BMW said all displays and controls have been reduced to the essentials. Okay, obviously not true considering there's a selfie camera in the car. The shelf, the shy tech approach from the interior can be seen in a number of features. Shy tech. That is the term they are using. Their interior design language. I'm not done talking about the the camera. Can I still go back to talk about you the can, camera? You can, but I just want to po- I just want to point out that someone in marketing obviously felt shy tech was like high tech, and that this would be a great idea. Yeah, shy tech. You want to talk shy tech? First of all, if it's going to trigger anytime somebody smiles, it's going to take a lot of pictures of people in the back seat looking at their phones, laughing at something a meme they've seen on Twitter, and the, nobody else is paying attention. And then second of all, this now has a theft, like some sort of theft activation feature where it will turn on that camera when the anti-theft warning light or or alarm has gone off. Don't worry. And then it'll take a a blurry photo of whoever's trying to steal your car. To any car thieves who are listening to this podcast, all you have to do is just grimace the whole time and they (laughs) won't take any photos. If you're a happy car thief, though, you're going to jail. Right. Um, what else did I tell you about this thing Which w- w- that was worth um, well, One discussing. thing I thought was funny was it talking about how – so, you know, when you turn on an electric – so, first, when oh, you yeah. get into an electric car, most of the time now, it there's no on or off button. Things just turn on because you're in the car, and then when you leave, they turn off because it's – you know, the battery is always connected. You don't need an ignition. But the BMW iX xDrive has a start-stop button, <laughs> and when mm-hmm. you push it – it says, pressing the button sparks an inspiring acoustic accompaniment that builds anticipation for the all-electric driving experience. This sound production was created as part of a collaboration between film music composer and Academy Award winner Hans Zimmer and creative director sound at the BMW Group. So, all of this to say that when you push the on button in a BMW electric car, it's going to go... Brrrr. Like you were watching Inception, except they're not watching like the lo- or the the ring race are following you or something. Yeah, right? you just like, want to go to the grocery store, but no, sorry, guy, it's forevermore. I love that. The, I love this. The the sound production was created as a part of a collaboration between Hans Zimmer and the creative director uh, at the BMW Group. That collaboration is really just a, a bucket load of money, isn't it? Like, it really that's is. That's all it, it is. It, it went like here's the here's the flow chart for that collaboration. Bucket full of money sent to Hans Zimmer. Hans Zimmer drags old audio file from recycling bin that wasn't good enough for Hollywood. Sends to BMW. BMW installs it in every car. Exactly. Absolutely. That's one hundred percent it. Um, 
I'm, I mean, I think the cars are interesting in a way, but they're also really, they look really bland. I have to point out that the interiors of these cabins, uh, of this BMW iX is really weird. There's a lot of touch buttons, I guess, to follow that philosophy of shy tech. Um, and the vehicle also has a lot of open pore wood. So open pore wood plus touch buttons, like on the actual open pore aspect of the vehicle, sounds like it's going to be a, like, you're going to smooth out some of those, like, texture on the on the on the dash if you, you if you touch a shy tech button does it giggle <laughs> yes of course it does okay. uh, hans zimmer giggle does it, or, or <laughs> does it does it blush uh not yet we're getting there but the that they'll definitely happen that's when you, you know get what? a blood-filled capillary uh capillary console which is still in development at bmw biotech which is done in uh, collaboration with uh academy award nominee david cronenberg <laughs> Um, there's one thing that we need to talk about, um, that we only spoke about really briefly a long time ago, but Nissan used to be, (laughs) I don't know what to make of that setup. (laughs) Nissan used to talk about the self-healing paint that they have. Do you remember remember that? It was like, you would scratch it and then over time it would fill itself in and then they were really excited about it and then bam, gone, never heard about it again. Now BMW has said that it's applied this, um, self-healing, um, surface to its Kidney grill. Okay. How do you feel about that? It says, this coating reduces the kidney grill susceptibility to damage. Um, The self-healing effect uh, repairs minor surface scratches, which is pretty cool. For example, within 24 hours at room temperature or through a five-minute supply of warm air. Where where am I going to find warm air? Yeah, this is warm air. I thought it was warm water before, but yeah. (laughs) Where am I going to find a five-minute supply of warm air outside my house? I like, do I park it that. near the exhaust, the exhaust vent of my in, in my clothes dryer? Like, no, is you that... just have to go and like you just have to. <laughs> I can't do that for five minutes. I had to. I do not have that lung. I'm not Michael Phelps. I don't have that lung capacity. Okay, well, I guess you're gonna not. You're gonna have those scratches on your grill then. I guess so. But it, I don't know. I mean, that's neat. But why just the kidney grills? Is it super super expensive? Yeah, I think all of the radar features are somewhere on there. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense to me either. Huh. What about the windshield? That would be nice. Nope. No? Sorry. Um, I, I also need to watch? add one more, one, two more, two more points to this car. It has a ginormous sunroof. Remember like your, the Polestar 2 that you talked, that you talked about recently? Giant yes. sunroof in that? Has that. But remember the other gimmick that bothers us a lot in recent BMWs? The crystal, um... Controls, the crystal-coated yes. controls. Yeah, that combined with a giant sunroof seems like a like blinding impact. Like it's not a, great. There's so much glare if you have one of the crystal uh, Swarovski. Um, I believe this also has Swarovski door inserts to um, change the seat position. Yeah. Like, I don't need that. No one needs that. My fingers are not that privileged. But it definitely, the glare in a convertible BMW from the Swarovski crystal thing is is a real deal. So I guess with the sunroof, if it doesn't tint all the way, it does. It it has a unlike the uh, Polestar, it has like a opaque opaque feature. You just okay. press a button and it goes dark. All right. Um, okay, let's continue. Now let's talk about our reader. Uh, I mean, our listener questions. What do you say? Sure thing. I have, we have a first question comes from Tim, and Tim lives in Wisconsin. And I mentioned that not to identify Tim, but because he, the area he lives in gets a fair amount of snow in the winter. So he had a question about wanting to get a fun car. He's got a Durango daily um, and a Corolla that's fun to drive, but he wants something that's that's fast. And he was asking, look, 
If I pick up a Mustang, am I going to be frustrated driving it in the winter? Sammy, what do you think? That's a tough that's a tough question to answer mainly because of the experience level of the driver. Now, if he is yeah, I you know at the same time I think that if he's been living in Wisconsin, he's been dealing with the snow, he knows that snow tires are an essential part of that experience. If he's going to equip his Mustang with snow tires and uh, and you know sort of respect the conditions that he's driving in, he'll be fine. And I want to I want to say winter tires, not snow tires, because uh, cold pavement is an important thing to consider with rubber too. So even when you don't have when you have a clear road and it's below forty degrees, you need winter tires because a all season tire is not going to give you the traction you want, especially in a car like the Mustang. Sorry, did I call them snow tires? You I did multiple I times. I, I I couldn't I couldn't hold my tongue. I do mean winter tires um, or winter season tires there. Um, also, make sure you point out those uh, Pirellis that we keep getting on. Oh, yeah. Don't get that. Don't get that. But I have to agree with you. So I, I had a – I mean it's not super high horsepower now. But many years ago when I would daily drive my CTSV in the winter, I had a set of Blizzax on it. And it's about 400 horsepower with a manual transmission. I know Tim's looking for an automatic, which is partly why he's looking at the Mustang. Um, I never got it stuck. And part of that was the tires and part of that was just being smart about, you know, picking your battles and knowing which parking spots you can get in and out of. The real issue, I think, with a rear-wheel drive car um, in the wintertime is if you live in a city and snow accumulates on the side of the roads, it can be tough to park. Because getting in and out of that at a slow rate of speed without spinning can be frustrating. Then there's also the idea that if you run into ice at a higher rate of speed, it can be a little hairy. But I've driven – I grew up driving rear-wheel drive and the Durango that you have, Tim, is rear-wheel drive, too, obviously with uh, automatic four-wheel drive on it. So the dynamics are going to be a bit similar. It's going to come down to whether you're comfortable with it because there will be times where the rear end is going to slide out a little bit. Not in a dangerous way, but just it's it's going to happen. Uh, I don't think a Mustang will be – I don't think a Mustang is a bad idea to drive in the winter, especially if the roads – if you live in an area that's not super rural where the roads are cleared on a regular basis – uh, you could throw in something like a Charger, a Challenger, a Camaro. All of these cars with good winter tires are going to be fine. They won't be the best option, but they will be fun, you know, three quarters of the year. And then that one quarter of winter, you'll just, you know, have to take it a little more easy while you're driving. Okay. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I do agree. The the other aspect is picking and choosing your battles. What days, like if you if you have to go out in a snowstorm... Don't take the Mustang. Yeah, it's Just more, do it's it. more it's of a, a hassle. Yeah, because not only is this, is the slipperiness an issue, but if it's fresh snow or if it's actively snowing in a snowstorm, the accumulation can get under the car. And just plowing through the snow. A Mustang is a relatively low vehicle. That's going to be a bit of a hassle. So you don't want to be in that situation. But you got the Durango. So it's not like you're. it's an either or where you're going to have to grab the Mustang or there's no choice, right? So that's that's an advantage I think you have. Yeah. But I mean, I, I've... I'm with you. First of all, the CTSV that you own—that's 400 horsepower. It's still not. A, I mean, that's a that's still a considerable amount of horsepower. And it's right? also manual too. So with the clutch, right. you had to be a little careful in the snow. And I have a lightweight uh, rear-wheel drive car that I drive daily through the snow. And I think, um, like I said, you just got to be—you uh, got to give it the respect that the the conditions demand, and the focus, and don't sort of, you know, don't make a don't overestimate it. You know, certainly don't take any selfies with the interior that's for sure. Mustang cam. 
Um, I have one more question that is relying on your inside knowledge of the industry. Rob asks if we have any knowledge of when Porsche will redesign the Boxster. He's actually really interested in the Boxster, but thinks the interior is kind of dated. Um, he wants something with a manual transmission, and uh, and we'll see what, what happens with, with the Boxster. What do you think? Ooh. So Porsche is being super weird about what's going to happen with the Boxster and the Cayman. So they're mm-hmm. saying there is going to be another version of the car. Uh, there had been talk that this was the last generation for both of these vehicles, the coupe and the convertible. But it's entirely possible that the next generation of the Boxster will be electric, Sammy. And I've, I said the same thing. I do believe that they're going into a hybrid or creating an electric Boxster concept. And that will likely remove that uh, Rob's desire for a... Uh, a manual transmission. I mean, I don't think he'll be able to get that kind of car with a manual. It seems like a rarity, right? We don't see manuals with um, EVs. And this is also a relatively small platform, so I don't know how much range you're going to have in a boxster size EV. If it's and and who knows when this is coming? Like, it, we're looking at probably 2024 at the earliest. So like that's quite a long time to wait for a car you might not want when it gets here. So I would. Yeah. In addition to this, the aspect of the Boxster that was really appealing was it was lightweight and, like, you know, engaging. Adding batteries will make it heavy, and making it an EV will definitely remove that engaging factor of it. So I'm actually leading towards, you know, uh, he says maybe would a BMW, I mean, sorry, would a 911 be a better pick because that is available with a manual transmission? And I would say definitely if you're picking between the, like, the non-existent EV Boxster or a 911 at the time, I think the 911 will be the better pick. But if you're looking at something right now, the current Boxster is pretty nice. Do you think that interior is, is dated or what? I would take the, I mean, I, I like the Boxster more than the, than the 911. And for me, the drive experience really cancels out any reservations I'd have about the interior. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they are very different cars. Um, one's yep. a grand touring car and one is very much a sports car. So I would keep that in mind if I was choosing between those two models. I agree with those with those uh, with those points there. Uh, the the Boxster is definitely a really engaging, fun to drive, lightweight car. Uh, it's super fun to drive, and the and while the 911 is fun to drive too, it's just a different. It's like a different class. It's a bigger car. It seems to have an emphasis on luxury, and um, it you know, I think that's the end of my point. I just <laughs> and with that trail off. Um... <laughs> We're going to segue into telling everyone how they can hear past episodes of the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. The easiest way to do that, if you enjoyed this podcast and you want to hear what we've said in about, you know, what we thought about a lot of the cars we're talking about now when they first came out, you can do that at unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. All of our episodes are there. I think we're up to 227 or 228 now. And you can subscribe either using buttons that we have on the website for your favorite podcatcher, or you can just go to the service that you listen to podcasts on. You know, we're on Amazon, Apple, Google, Spotify, all the major players and a few of the smaller players and a few of the secret players too. So just search for an unnamed automotive podcast and you will find us yeah so once you're done subscribing to that you will probably listen to a bunch of our episodes and you'll want to get in touch with us to tell us that we're right we're wrong you've got some questions just like um rob and tim had earlier so it's really easy to get in touch with us there is a contact form on our website it's probably the easiest way to get in touch with us it's uh you just fill this form out and it lands in our inbox or you can send an email to us the old-fashioned way just um type in the two field benjamin at benjaminhunting.com and finally, you can reach out to us on social media. 
Ben is usually found on Instagram. He's at Hunting Benjamin. And you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. Sam, Sammy, what are you going to be talking about next week? What, what's in your driveway? I've got um, a hybrid Hyundai Tucson as well as a hybrid RAV4. So you can guess what I'll be talking about. <laughs> I have been spending some time in the Lincoln Navigator. And I know the Lincoln Navigator isn't a new vehicle, but we haven't talked about it in many years on the podcast. And I was... This was an unplanned drive, and I'm pleasantly surprised by how it reaffirmed my opinions of the vehicle, so I'm looking forward and talking about that. Wow, spoiler alert. Okay, you want to hear the rest of Ben's take on the Navigator, you got to tune in next week. Okay, everybody? Bye-bye. Bye.